Hi, video game cheaters. I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington, and I'm excited to be back. Thanks to Haya for stepping in while I was away. And thanks to you for listening to the TechCrunch podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, Romain Diet is here to talk about the proposed bipartisan bill that could lead to banning TikTok in the U.S. And I continue in that vein with Zach Whitaker, who wrote a piece about the dangers of startups selling our data. But before we get into that, I'll go over this week's top stories in tech. Russian multiplayer shooter Escape from Tarkov took action this week against rampant cheating. The community for the game has been complaining about prolific cheating for quite a while now. The game's developer, Battlestate Games, responded by not only banning 6,700 users for cheating, but also by doxing them through publication of their in-game nicknames in a public spreadsheet. It's a name and shame combo that could impact their ability to cheat in other games, too. Or on TC from Lorenzo Franceschi Bicerai. Elon Musk stepped in dog shit again this week with a knee-jerk reaction to a prominent former employee on Twitter. The employee, Holly Thorleifsen, was laid off last week, but was seemingly unable to get actual confirmation of that. Holly asked Elon to confirm he was no longer employed, but Elon instead attacked him and accused him of doing, quote, no actual work. Elon later apologized and said that it's better to talk to people than communicate via Twitter, which is quite a statement coming from the CEO of Twitter. More from Aisha Malik on TechCrunch. Microsoft is building additional AI products for its business apps, including a co-pilot that automates oft-repeated sales and customer service tasks. It's kind of like the GitHub Copilot for coding and borrows the name from the Microsoft-owned code repository site. The bot can help with stuff like drafting contextual answers for customer support interactions or preparing email responses. You can read more on this from Kyle Wiggers on TechCrunch. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk to some of our beloved TechCrunch writers. First up, our favorite Frenchman, Romain Diet, is here to talk with me, a Canadian, about a proposed bill that could ban TikTok in the U.S., Hey, Roman, how's it going? Good, good, and you? Very good, very good. So we found out this week, I feel like this keeps coming up, but this seems like one of the more threatening measures so far. Various interests in the United States want to get rid of or ban TikTok in some capacity or another. They've banned it, I think, for sitting Congress members in the past and various levels and members of government. But this one is a bipartisan bill, so reaching across the aisle and suggesting that they ban TikTok in the United States entirely. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's good that you have someone from France to tell you <laughs> all about uh, U.S. politics. To tell a Canadian about it? We're going to get a lot of yeah, exactly. angry messages. I'm going to try not to mess anything <laughs> up. But yeah, from what we've seen this week, there's a group of 12 senators, some Republicans, some Democrats, that are working together and backing this new piece of legislation saying that the U.S. government should get new powers to decide what they want to do with foreign technologies, so hardware and software, coming from some very specific countries, actually, some enemies, as they would say, mm -hmm. adversarial nations. So then they list some countries, China, Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Russia, and Venezuela, and that's it. But obviously, everybody's thinking about TikTok. Even the senators in the press conference, they kept referencing TikTok as the risk du jour, as right. I would say. So everybody's thinking that maybe the U.S. should do something about TikTok. Right. So they're not worried about that leading Cuban social networking app <laughs> that everybody's using. <laughs> yeah, all from North Korea. You right. know? I don't think we... we <laughs> 
I don't think there are a lot of imports in the U.S. coming from North Korea right now. So it's pretty weird that they specifically list North Korea in this list, because obviously there is a bigger trade ban with some of these countries. Yeah. With China, there are a lot of trades happening between the U.S. and China and a lot of Chinese products making their way to the U.S. So this is obviously a name and that is one of the, the important ones in the list. Yeah. And so according to this bill, if it passes, of course, we're not sure yet, but there will be different measures that they can take. The most dramatic measure would be that they could ban a service or a company from operating in the U.S. Of course, it has happened in the past with Huawei and uh, ZTE sure. and telecommunications equipment in the U.S., but now it's even wider. The Department of Commerce could review, prevent, and mitigate in any form and capacity that they want. So they could say, maybe TikTok should be banned for anyone who is under 18. Or they could say, TikTok should be banned on phones of some specific workers or things like that. Or they could say, this feature should be you know, restricted in the US. It could be anything like that. It's pretty unclear and pretty broad. Mm. So we don't know for sure. Uh, what's going to be the end game here? This is a little bit of a sidetrack, but they also mention hardware, like it's software, hardware, or services, right? So is there any discussion yet about, because obviously we have tons of major companies, Apple most notably, that rely heavily on Chinese hardware and Chinese supply chain. So like, has that been discussed at all? Or do you think this is more, it seems like they really just want to cover their bases. So they're being very broad in their language and then will sort of enforce selectively. Yeah, they're very broad, which is a risk because I think this sort of legislation could be abused in a way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they think that a US company should be favored when it comes to electronics components, for instance, uh, maybe, maybe, you but know. But again, this is the French and the Canadian person saying <laughs> that the US audience is probably like, we don't give a shit. <laughs> well, right now, I think in the US, they're being very protective about the economy and, yeah. and favoring a lot of US companies, even more than in Europe, I would say. But I think it's a global phenomenon. And everybody right now is sort of pouring public money into very key industries, key infrastructure and key components that are going to shape the future for the next 50 years. So think about chips and, you know, anything that can be used for artificial intelligence or self-driving cars, anything like that. I'm sure it could be used, this sort of legislation to favor U.S. companies going forward. Yeah. So what do you think, though, back to TikTok? TikTok clearly is engaged in this dance, and they are always trying to demonstrate how they're mitigating any potential risks resulting from their ownership. I think they recently did a little dog and pony show about their safety center or privacy center, something they call it. It's an actual facility. They offered to have us come out. We declined because I think we thought it would be mostly theatrics. A few other publications did go, and to their credit, mostly said it was theatrics, but do you think that they are going to have a response to this? Do you think any measure they take can possibly alleviate the fears and concerns of this kind of bipartisan legislation? I think they're doing a lot to sort of prevent this sort of legislation. So there's even new safety measures in the app, such as parental controls, so that kids don't spend too much time in the app, for instance. But the biggest concern is about user data. And does it go to China? Who can access this kind of data? They keep saying that nobody from the government, the Chinese government, can access this data. Right. Nobody can query this data to learn more about U.S. citizens or European citizens. 
but it's hard to know for sure what's happening. It seems like almost an impossible claim to verify, right? Yeah, exactly. If the Chinese government says, we want to know everything about this person, and they hand you a sort of legal paper, I think as a Chinese company, you have to comply with this kind of request. Right. The U.S. has similar things, and we have, you know, the canary is the common practice, right? As you put mm-hmm. in a thing in your privacy disclosure that says, like, we have not received a request from the U.S. government for whatever information, and you can't say that you have, like, that's prevented by the law, but you can remove that thing, and then it's an indication that you have done it right. But I suspect there's probably not a similar mechanism for Chinese software companies. There's probably a lot more that the government can just step in because of the nature of the way that they're organized, like, politically, and just say, like, Give us the information and also don't tell anybody and also just say you didn't give us the information. And there's been some precedent with Apple and iCloud in China as well, because in iCloud, the world operates very differently from how it operates in China, because the Chinese government said that Apple has to host user data on Chinese cloud infrastructure. I don't remember which company it was, probably Alibaba or Tencent, someone like that. Mm -hmm. But essentially, Apple was using other servers, maybe their own servers. But the Chinese government said, you can't do that. You have to use our own infrastructure. So they probably worded it as a way to boost Chinese companies and foster economic growth for Chinese companies. But it's also a way to make sure that they can still access the servers. So as long as the data is encrypted end-to-end, it's fine. But it's not the case for all iCloud data. And I think it's even different from Chinese data, from rest of the world data in iCloud's case. So there is a precedent, and I don't think we should trust TikTok's word when it comes to privacy and user data, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I googled it, so it has to hand. But the real-time information about what their arrangement is, like they actually don't legally own their customer data. Their cloud provider partner in China owns it. And that company is Guizhou Cloud Big Data, or GCBD, which is a company owned either fully or majority by the Chinese government. So, Mm. yeah, it's quite a different arrangement. Like, it's basically like... Yeah, it's not even your info anymore. It's not Apple's info, it's not your info. It's the Chinese government's info when it's iCloud stored there. Yeah, exactly. And ByteDance is a private company, so we don't have a lot of... uh, No, no visibility. ...public exposure about what's happening in this company as well. Yeah. And that's what I read whenever I read about their measures and like the stuff that they present is they can say all this stuff you want, but it's incredibly hard. Even if they provide access to kind of auditors, like there's no real way of knowing. You're still at some point kind of taking them at their word. And so that's why you're going to continue to see like measures and members of the U.S. government present things like this, right? Like this bill. But what do you think the likelihood is of this particular bill actually making its way to law. Does it seem like it has sort of broad support? It's bipartisan, but that's different than broad support. Yeah, I think it's going to take a while. I would say at least six months to a year before there's any actual effects. I think it's not going to be as broad as it is today. They will have to do something to sort of narrow the scope of this bill because right now it's too broad. And I think even in front of a court, you could argue that it's too broad and it shouldn't come into effect. 
So they will have to word it a bit differently, maybe list the measures that they can take against mm -hmm. foreign companies and foreign services. So I guess it's the beginning of a long, long road. But I think right now there's a lot of concerted push to yeah. sort of ban TikTok. And I don't see any way back right now. So it's going to take a while. And maybe there's going to be some company that is going to take advantage of that and rise from the ashes of TikTok in the US. Right. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it is directionally going that way, like you said. Like all the things we've seen indicate this is something that there's a lot of groundswell support for it. And I think it's got momentum and I don't think it's going away. But on the other end, yeah, like the bill is presented now. It is not feasible for legal reasons, as you point out. And also it's going to encounter heavy, heavy resistance from lobbying groups and vested interests, including probably Apple, even whether or not we see that, you know, in public behind the scenes, they're going to be having those conversations of like, we are concerned about the wording of this, whatever, right? So what we see in the end will be much changed or it could be something else entirely. But I do think TikTok is on this path and there's going to be a clash and it's maybe going to be an election issue and God, I don't even know when the next US election is. <laughs> 2024? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much, Roman, for uh, joining us for this edition of People Not From America Discuss American Politics. <laughs> so, Daryl, tell us, tell us what's your secret TikTok handle, because I'm sure you're a secret influencer on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I do have a TikTok account, but I don't use it for anything. <laughs> I don't know what my handle is. <laughs> The only thing I use it for is Jordan Crook, former TechCrunch deputy editor-in-chief, used to send me just occasional reels, and I would be like, or whatever they call them. They don't even call them reels. That's Instagram. <laughs> Anyways, I'm tired of exposing our <laughs> ignorance on this <laughs> subject. TikToks, maybe, yeah. <laughs> TikToks. Thank you, Maggie, our producer, for supplying the, the helpful answer there. All right, Romain, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. And thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Next, Zach Whitaker and I talk about why banning TikTok isn't enough to protect our data. Hey, Zach, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Terrified, I guess. That's a constant state for me, as it is for you, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's the, uh, it's the security beat day in, day out. It's yeah. uh, all terror all the time. <laughs> so on that topic, we spoke to Roman actually also for this episode about the proposed bipartisan bill to potentially ban TikTok and other products originating in China. But you had an article this week that uses that as a jumping off point. But do you want to talk about what you wrote? Yeah, it just feels like every other headline these days is about TikTok and an impending ban. Mm -hmm. Like states to U.S. lawmakers and the Biden administration are all looking at potentially banning TikTok over this fear that its Chinese parent company can or could be forced to share Americans' app data with the Chinese government. But while everyone's fixated on TikTok and China, we're neglecting the larger problem. And that's at home. The fact is that the environment exists in the United States to collect this data to begin with, which is really the source of this issue. Right. And as I said in my piece, the scary calls are coming from inside America's house. <laughs> and look, like for years, the US has, you know, with its lack of data protection legislation and privacy regulations, you know, it's allowed Silicon Valley to thrive. Right. But look at the damage they've done. The big tech titans have 
use and abuse our data for years. And again, I say in the piece, they've compromised our security, they've eroded our privacy, they've tracked us, they've sold our data, lost our data, they've monopolized the competition, they've driven out small businesses, and they've put entire populations at risk. Yeah. And so that is the reason why so many startups today terrify me. Because we all have the advancements of today's technology, yet we still haven't learned from the mistakes of yesteryear. Right. What I hear a lot as you're talking about that, which brings this into even more stark relief, is like founders are constantly talking about how the environment has changed now versus five years ago in a way that for them, like makes them optimistic. Right. And but what they're talking about is actually er the erosion of our sensitivity around these protections and specifically as it pertains to privacy. Right. Yeah. So I was just talking to a startup which shall remain nameless for now, but I just because. It's under embargo, but you'll read about it when it comes out because I'll express these concerns. But that is doing a location-based social networking play and then is, is saying like, well, the reason it is viable now versus 10 years ago is that everyone now just without thinking about it is happy to give up their location information on their phone, right? Like it's not even right. a consideration. You just hit the toggle when it comes up or the prompt and then you're good to go and then you don't even think about it anymore, right? Yeah, and then most people don't think about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you've got this changing floor, which seems to be going lower and lower. And then you've got the companies are falling over each other to do more with it, right? To push those limits. But what are some examples of places that have maybe done this better? It feels like when you're talking about that, you could kind of look at the European Union as, as a geography that has perhaps been a bit more responsible when it comes to something like this. Yeah, Europe has, it's got the GDPR legislation regulations, which essentially allows Europeans or 500 million Europeans the right to access, control and modify and delete their data that's held by tech companies. And yeah, Europe has a pretty good model, but in the United States, where many of these tech companies are located, it's open season on our data. There is yeah. no comprehensive privacy or data protection legislation in the United States at all. And there's nothing that covers every single American. And that's really what the wider kind of problem is with US tech companies, is that they mm -hmm. collect our data and they use our information often against us for making their own money. Yeah. And we get very little out of it. Right. Yeah. I think that also is a key point to think about is kind of the the exchange, right? And I think the definition of what the fair exchange has changed considerably because the one side, the Facebook, the technology side, Facebook, Google, whatever, has become much more sophisticated in both their collection and use, right? And then the other side, they're still essentially delivering basically the same value they always have been, right? So it's almost like a personal data inflation, which is a little bit out of control, right, in terms of what you're getting in exchange for that value. Right, exactly. Look, I don't know who needs to hear this. Well, everyone. Actually, I think. <laughs> but I think it's probably worth just taking like a really simple example of kind of how this works. Like pretty much everyone has used a ride-sharing app. You order a car, it automatically pays for the ride as you jump out of your destination. The app knows where to pick you up from and where to drop you off. So it has your location data. But like most apps these days, phone apps are packed with little bits of code that collect and share data about you and your phone with the app, but also third-party companies that the app maker works with. And that data can be things like your phone model, your network strength, your battery level, maybe your network carrier. And these are all things that are used by the app for things like analytics or making sure that the app works or understanding crash logs when things go wrong. But these are also used for advertising and tracking and things that make money for the app makers. Right. So you might expect to share your location data with the app, 
But actually, those little bits of code can and do share your device and location data with advertisers and other companies. And that gets shared with other countless other firms and whoever will buy it. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, you've lost control of your data. And to be clear, this isn't just ride-sharing apps. I'm not just putting out one from the app store. Yeah. Yeah, but this is pretty much every app, social networks to news sites to those crappy free games packed with ads, all the way down to the big ones like TikTok. So if you take the TikTok ban, for example, all of this to say is that banning one app isn't going to stop anything in the grand scheme. It's like slapping a Band-Aid on a broken arm. I mean, sure, it looks good, but it's not actually going to do anything. Right. What is working against TikTok there, and I suppose for American lawmakers and everyone else trying to blow this up, is like, you think about, well, China is a sort of definable boogie person, essentially, right? It's like, oh, that is mm. easy to yeah. fear them and to think like, oh, they're going to do nefarious things. But I think to the point of your article and to the point of the discussion, there are unethical actors of all types. And a lot of them probably have much more potential to like negatively impact your day-to-day life than China as yeah. a national actor, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you just take things at home in the United States, you know, all of this matters because, you know, your data can and is frequently used against you all the time. I mean, look, earlier I gave an example about how apps share data with third parties. Actually, take Uber as a good example. Uber said some years ago that it knows when a person's battery is low because that data is shared from the app, Mm -hmm. which means a person is more likely to accept a higher fare thinking their phone might crap out at any minute. Now, that's just one example of how data can be used against you. But what happens when the police come for a person's data that's been collected by the app? I mean, the app maker might refuse to provide any user's data at all, but because that app maker shared your data with other companies and other firms that it works with, all the police have to do is go to those companies instead. Yes, right. Yeah. They no longer need your consent and permission. It's totally, it's available sort of on the market. And I think the other thing that you're bringing up, because you you mentioned, I think the location-based, like ride sharing have an obvious element of like, you are sharing a lot of information like overtly with them, but... The other point is really well made that you mentioned earlier, which is like apps now all do this, all of these things by default. And they Mm. sort of gird it in that excuse of analytics, but it's essentially digital fingerprinting. And regardless of the feature set of the apps, regardless of what it's providing you from value, I think this is a major distinction from what we saw at kind of the onset of the app store. There was less transparency, arguably, about what was being shared and when, because Apple and Google as platform owners have put a lot of guardrails in around like permission dialogues and things like that. But those apps were typically only asking for things that like were directly related to functionality they were offering, at least initially, right? And then eventually it became, I'm going to get everything because why wouldn't I? I might be able to do something with it. And it's there. It's available. Yeah. And so... That's the other thing that I think is really concerning, because as much as you're putting in dialogues and you're putting up prompts, you have this thing on the user side, which is like prompt fatigue, or, you know, it's like accepting a terms of service. Like, people don't really think about those things anymore. People don't think about it, exactly. No. Yeah. And I think it's worth remembering from the startup's point of view that simply just do not collect data that you don't need. Yes. And if your company relies on users' data to make money, then your business model isn't sustainable. Right. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, if you take TikTok as a wild example, don't get me wrong, TikTok does pose a threat based on the Chinese government's ability to collect data. But at the same time, the collection of data to begin with is the much 
larger problem. The two things can still be true. Yeah, for sure. The point you make too about sort of about it not being sustainable is like probably the best and most impactful one in terms of like addressing the problem on the demand side. Yeah, like rather than the user, but like the actual businesses themselves, like it's not reliable ground upon which to build your company for various reasons. But changing regulatory environments is one of them, right? Yeah. And we've already seen how laws can change in this country and immediately put entire populations at risk and you might well think well this won't happen to me but it can and it does yeah and it has over and over again all the time so it's easy to find yeah. historical examples yeah all right well is there anything else you think people can do or do you think this is such a systemic problem that it needs to be addressed at the system level like with the creators and the entrepreneurs and the funders and everything yeah look i hate to be the the one saying this but this is one of those times where i feel like legislation and regulation could actually help look america doesn't have a comprehensive data protection law that affects every american but california does have the ccpa which is a pretty good consumer privacy law it's regarded as one of the strongest in the country because it does work but that's only one state, and there is a push to create a federal privacy law. But the problem is with that is that if you essentially create a federal law that would replace the patchwork of state laws, including California's, right. which is what tech companies are lobbying to do because California's law is so strong. So we do need to do something about it. And banning TikTok isn't going to really have much of an effect. We really do need to be looking at figuring out the problem at the source. And, and I think that's going to be something that's going to have to be fixed with you know legislation or some kind of regulation. Right. Which is, yeah, Silicon Valley's favorite, favorite thing. But the, <laughs> the yeah. But that's the thing is that while while lawmakers are focusing on TikTok, they're neglecting the, the real problem. Yeah, um, no kidding. Which is, which is a shame. Yeah. I know. Well, I mean, it's because it's a classic example of like, are they concerned about the substance of the problem or are they concerned about, you know, what is politically popular in the moment? And it's probably more the latter. And banning TikTok would be very, very politically popular. Exactly. I mean, it would be devastating for trade. It would be devastating for diplomacy. It would be devastating for many things. It would have a, a massive negative effect on so many things. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too, because like. In that case, you probably agree with a lot of the lobbyists on the tech side. Like, I don't think Apple or anybody else wants this legislation to pass as as written because it would impact their businesses as well, right? Like, it's very broad. Yeah. It would have a huge effect on a business at home as well as in China. I mean, the blowback effect would be enormous. Yeah. On American businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's another example of physician heal thyself, I think, but we'll see if anything happens. <laughs> I'm glad you're sounding the alarm and I hope we keep doing it because it is a slippery slope and we're already well into sliding down it. But thanks, Zach, again for joining us and for covering this stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com. In a couple of months, I'm going to TechCrunch Early Stage in Boston. Join me and save yourself some money now by using the code TCPOD for a 40% discount on founder and investor passes for the event, which happens April 20th. As always, don't miss the other TC podcasts. We have Found, Chain Reaction, Equity, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.